This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Just glad I brushed my hair today. Strategies for Working Moms and the Future of Patient-Friendly Payment, today on Voices in Healthcare Finance, sponsored by ClearBalance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto, and today I'm very pleased to welcome a co-host for the day. Say hi, co-host. Hey, Erica. This is Brad Dennison. I'm HFMA's Director of Content Strategy and excited to be joining the podcast today. I invited Brad to join me because we're talking about an important workplace issue, parents in the workplace and specifically moms. Brad, you've been a manager of people for a long time, including me for the last two years. And I thought that you could share some things you've picked up along the way as a manager and maybe even as a parent. But first, it's a new year. This time next week, we'll have a new president, COVID vaccinations are well underway, and HFMA is here to talk through it all with our members. Brad, do you want to tell our listeners about what we've been working on and maybe about some good things they missed at the end of 2020? Sure. Uh, You know, Rich Daly's December HFM cover story, Where Did Our Sickest Patients Go?, has been trending since we posted it online December 1st. It's really a story about population health, how hospitals are expecting patients to come back sicker because of deferred care during the pandemic. So think about this. Versus prior year entering Q4, colonoscopies were down 30%, mammograms down 16%, cardiology visits down 12%, oncology visits down 8%, high acuity ED visits were down 13%. And the folks we talked to think those people continue to stay away out of fear of COVID. So people didn't stop having heart attacks, right? And the experts we spoke with say this will manifest itself probably in the form of a sicker population. I think there are significant concerns from healthcare finance folks, especially when it comes to managing pop health, negotiating contracts, establishing metrics for success, those sorts of things will be disrupted by this. We'll continue to track this story closely this year, and I do think it's one that will unfold over a long period of time, probably even beyond 2020. Uh, But if anybody hasn't read this story yet, it's definitely well worth the time. In terms of what we're planning for the next few months, we're already working on content around price transparency, which of course got real important around January 1, denials management, and telehealth. So watch HFM Magazine and our HFMA Daily e-news for the latest. All right. Thanks. Definitely a lot to keep an eye on there. We will link Rich's story in the show notes for you listeners if you want to check it out. Up next, we'll be talking about pandemic strategies for working moms. That's coming up after this quick word. Looking for a quick and easy way to fill open positions on your team? Post your open positions through HFMA's Job Bank, the niche recruiting site for healthcare finance professionals like you. List your open positions today at hfma.org slash job bank. 
A year ago, things were looking good for working women. At the end of 2019, the number of women in the workplace surpassed the number of men for the first time in a decade. And then the pandemic. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 865,000 women over the age of 20 dropped out of the workplace in September 2020. I'm going to repeat that. 865,000 women in one month. This is a difficult problem to untangle. I've said more than once during this pandemic that my stress as a working mother hasn't increased, it's just changed. A year ago, I had my work days to focus on work, but my husband, who is a videographer, was gone a lot of evenings, so I was alone with my kids, which meant dinner, homework, brushing teeth, reading bedtime stories, all that stuff was 100% on me. Now, my husband is home all the time, but so are the kids, and so those lines between work and home are blurred. So I've been thinking a lot about the challenges faced by working moms before and during the pandemic and how I haven't seen many workable solutions. So I turned to McKinsey, an organization known for problem solving, and I brought in a couple of their employees who also happen to be moms. I'm Annie Kurgel. I'm an engagement manager with McKinsey and Company in our Chicago office. I do all of my work in the healthcare space. Uh, and spend a lot of time also working with our LGBTQ group, uh, GLAM. My family is a family that emerged actually within the last about year. Uh, so my wife and I became foster parents to four wonderful children over the course of six weeks in 2019, and then had the joy of entering into the pandemic with four relatively new children. <laughs> and we've got uh, what we lovingly refer to as an elementary school here with a fourth grader, third grader, kindergartner, and then our 13-month-old. I am Elizabeth Newman. I'm talking to you from a closet where I'm hiding from my family. I have a two-year-old and I um, joined McKinsey in 2019. I am the executive uh, healthcare editor in the Shape Practice. What I wanted to do was get some moms together to talk about some of the struggles and maybe find some solutions to things that are going on in families with the pandemic. Uh, I know I am home right now with my three kids working from home. My husband's working from home. My six-year-old is doing first grade from home. It's a lot of together time. Some of that is great. It's also very challenging. And I've read article after article talking about how hard things are and how bad things are for parents, especially moms. And women, as we've seen, are leaving the workplace in droves because of, of everything that's going on. But what I haven't seen are solutions. I haven't seen a whole lot about what individuals can do for themselves, what employers can do, and maybe even what the government could do to support working parents in this time. Why don't we start by talking about some of the challenges and how you both handle them in your own homes and in your own lives. Uh, Annie, do you want to start? As someone that really likes work and likes getting things done, I would say this one was really hard for me to advocate for. And one of the things I appreciated a lot about McKinsey as an employer, probably in the first couple of weeks with this, just saying in a very honest way, we're noticing people are working a lot. You know, you're at home, there's not a lot to do for some folks. Maybe you don't have the kids at home that are as demanding it at night. And so maybe you just are filling the time and an alert acknowledgement that this, this isn't going to be sustainable and this isn't going to be a way that we can make a path forward. So let's be intentional 
about creating a workday. And especially as an engagement manager, I, I manage the team. And so in, in creating a workday that is sustainable with clear boundaries that are put in place. And there were a couple things I liked about that. One was that it came from leadership. It was not something that I felt like I didn't have air coverage for as a manager. It was something I felt like was a message that was easier to talk about because there was encouragement to be honest about what you need, which I think we actually had had a lot of before, but it's a good reinforcement too. And the second part of it is that it made me reflect on what do I need in a day to be successful. And it helped me understand that actually there are a couple things around that, you know, not only I was used to as uh, as maybe not great as it sounds, I was used to breaks from my family a little bit too. I was used to being able to be in a dinner with a client and have a conversation and be face to face and be very productive. And so I was forcing myself to think through what are the parts of my job during the week that I am not getting that I need to recreate. Annie, you just said something that jumped out at me. You mentioned needing breaks from your family, but you kind of said, well, this doesn't sound great, but I need a break from my, you know what? That's part of what we're here to talk about, right? I mean, that this is mom guilt. This is classic mom guilt. Yeah, totally is. You know, totally. of, of no, I should be fully engaged and on at all times, no matter what I have going on. I should be able to listen to what my kid runs to tell me, even though I'm in the middle of a Zoom call. No, of course you shouldn't. You know, you're a human person. But I mean, I, I have that too. I think we all have to have those conversations with ourselves. So Brad, as a manager of people, what are your thoughts so far? Not just on how people are managing their own time, but how leadership is reaching out and saying, hey, we notice that you're working longer hours. Be careful with that. Um, make sure you use your time off, those, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think it's important for managers to be proactive and anticipating things that employees may be struggling with. Talk a lot to people, especially during a time like this. Try to talk to people more, especially when you're not together as much as you used to be. I think for working moms in particular, it's so important for managers to create a safe space for them to work in, meaning acknowledging so they don't have to, that their day isn't going to look like it did when they were coming into an office. It's not going to be an 8.30 to 5 job. They may have to work odd hours because they have children to contend with through the course of the day. You may have kids under five. They're not in school yet. That's a whole set of problems in itself. You may have kids who are in online school during the day. I mean, we've, we have people here who have kids in, in kindergarten or first grade and just working the computer itself is a problem. So letting parents know, letting moms know it's okay to step away. I don't fault you for that. I understand the circumstances I think is incredibly important. I think it probably says something, the fact that I'm wanting to do this story at all and the fact that I'm inviting my boss to talk with me about it is an indicator of, of how things have been for me. I felt pretty comfortable about it, even though I do always find myself apologizing because my kids are disruptive. And more than once, I don't know how many times, Brad, you've called me on the phone and one of my kids has been yelling in the background and you've just paused what you were saying and said, do you need to take care of that? 
And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But it's nice to be able to not have to hide that, yes, I'm home with my three kids all day. And yes, they're going to be disruptive. And yes, I need to go and make some chicken nuggets now instead of reading your email. So... And I think that can feel like a tense situation if you don't have a manager who's explicitly said it's okay. I, I mean, I think if I were in that situation, I would, I would not want the disruptions at work. I would want things to be like they were before. I would want things to feel professional. And so I think that's why it's so important to just make it clear, not once, but continually reinforcing that it's okay. In the next part of the conversation that I'm going to share we get into talking about some things that managers can do, some things that leadership can do, and digging in a little more to the culture of an organization and the comfort that a working parent and especially a working mom can feel. I do think it starts with leadership. It starts with seeing parents and, and especially working moms as senior leaders of the organization. You know, obviously, there's work that goes into seeing that made possible, but two of the senior partners I work with the most at McKinsey and quite frankly, some of the clients I work with the most are working moms. And I don't see this as a thing that you either can be successful in your career or you can be a working mom. I see that role modeled in front of me every, every day. I think the messaging around what does it take to be successful needs to be there and needs to be very equal and expressive. So setting a message early on saying the expectation is that, yes, this is going to be perhaps really tricky, and we're going to be here. Let's problem solve. Places where you can be a culture that's flexible and responsive and supportive, I think that's huge. And then on the infrastructure side, you know, we've had all sorts of things that are incredibly wonderful. Everything from immediately setting up a first response team that says, what are the problems we think will happen? How do we set up remote work so you can be successful? And what equipment do you need? Is it a standing desk? Is it is it a, a better chair? Because, you know, you're going to be both carrying your 13-month-old around the house and you're going to be sitting all day long. And those are not a comfortable combination of things. To really providing some very generous additional funding, acknowledging that not all of us already had full-day childcare in place. So I think some of those are just some quick examples on infrastructure. I think, Elizabeth, you probably have others as well. But I think you've got to have both. Because if you just put the infrastructure in place and then people don't feel like, they should be accessing it, then it doesn't work. And if you just have culture in place, but you don't think of the practical solutions that working moms need, I, I also think you're going to end up where it, it sounds really good, but then well, where is the real action to support that? There was a little elephant in the room that we had to acknowledge, and that's that the three of us are all employed, we all have supportive partners, and we're all healthy. All of those things put us at a great advantage compared to many other women. And to underscore that, I want to read you something from McKinsey's Women in the Workplace 2020 report, which we will link for you in the show notes. Women, especially women of color, are more likely to have been laid off or furloughed during the COVID-19 crisis, stalling their careers and jeopardizing their financial security. The pandemic has intensified challenges that women already faced. Working mothers have always worked a double shift, a full day of work, followed by hours spent caring for children and doing household labor. Now, the supports that made this possible, including school and childcare, have been upended. As a result of these dynamics, more than one in four women are contemplating what many would have considered unthinkable just six months ago, downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce completely. 
think it's really important to recognize that if the number of women actually left the workforce that had been thinking of it this year, that it would be more than the number of female college graduates and graduate students. And so when we talk about why we're talking about solutions and why we're trying to share and trying to encourage other working parents and other women to find ways and strategies to stick with it, it's truly because we believe that that loss of talent within industry could be incredibly detrimental to everyone. There's this odd default that exists that somehow women are going to be the ones that if there's a moment of decision of who stays home, the default clearly is still there, given what we're seeing and given the numbers that exist. It's not always the right answer. And maybe for some people it is, but for some people it's really not. I can't see a way in which we don't emerge from COVID with more honest conversations about what it takes to make sure that women and moms are supported in the workforce so that we retain the best talent and we retain people that are going to continue to make amazing contributions to the world. Well, and going back to kind of what this may look like in terms of long-term solutions, because we know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And, and that we will return to the quote-unquote next normal. But the, going back to this Women in Workplace report, most companies think that a lot of these jobs can be performed more remotely. The majority of companies think they're going to moderately or significantly cut business travel. Eight and 10 employees say they want to continue to work from home more than they did before COVID-19. And 70% of companies think remote work will allow them to hire and retain diverse talent. All of that is a very positive perspective on how we can emerge with solutions that help women and working parents more in the future. Working moms, we want to hear from you. What strategies do you have for coping with the challenges you face? What do your employers do for you? What do you wish they'd do for you? Tell us at podcast at hfma.org. Healthcare organizations nationwide continued to rack up staggering financial losses throughout 2020, directly related to COVID-19 and to a shutdown of non-life-threatening surgical procedures. And with approximately 14.6 million individuals and their dependents losing employer-sponsored health insurance, according to an October study by the Commonwealth Fund, healthcare providers are having to alter their approach to patient collections. A recent survey of HFMA leaders with our sponsor today, ClearBalance, uncovered some interesting insights. Here to talk about that survey is Lori Heavey, the Vice President of Marketing at ClearBalance. Welcome, Lori. Hi, how are you doing? Great to be here. Thanks. Good to have you. There were some interesting findings when it comes to patient payment. Tell me about that. The survey really results really boil down to compassion, convenience, and cash flow management. And so I'll walk through each of those. Slightly more than half, 52.6% of healthcare providers are putting more focus on payment alternatives for patients. So when I say compassion, it's the fact that revenue cycle leaders realize that their patients are consumers, many of of whom have been hard hit financially by the pandemic. They've lost their insurance, as you mentioned, and they're finding it difficult to make ends meet. You know, sadly for many people, it's a question of, do I take care of this knee surgery or do I continue to hobble around so I can put food on the table? And then I also mentioned convenience. Again, more than half of those surveyed, 52.2%, are focusing on online and digital self-service options. This is a trend that began a few years ago, but we've seen healthcare providers really speeding up their timelines for virtual patient engagement. And it's not just about payment portals. Healthcare providers are stepping back to think holistically about their digital patient engagement strategy, 
whether it's using their website as a digital front door, the types of transactions that a patient complete digitally, like getting an estimate and then being able to self-select a payment path for their out-of-pocket expenses, or even new apps that enable you to use your smartphone to scan a barcode on your statement and then make a payment. The other impression I have when reviewing the survey results relates to cash flow management. You know, healthcare typically is recession-proof, but most health systems have been hard hit financially themselves due to shuttering, you know, elective procedures at the onset of the pandemic. By offering patients long-term financing, healthcare providers are also helping themselves. That's because their vendor partners fund the patient balance rather than the provider carrying an open balance on their books for a few years. So all this is making sense to me so far, but are there any surprises in the data? There really aren't any surprises in the data. The findings really are an affirmation of what we at ClearBalance have seen with our health system partners over the over the year and talking with other, you know, revenue cycle leaders that we meet. People have economic problems and they, and they need help with that. So it's pretty cut and dry, but like I say it is an affirmation. Over the course of 2020, you know, health systems have instituted safety and COVID separation processes so they could begin handling elective and other procedures again. You know, but having that space and the bandwidth doesn't do any good if you have patients deferring care because they can't afford it. So the statistics about care deferral from surveys that ClearBalance does with our account holders and other surveys like Gallup and Kaiser, they really have been very consistent in their findings that more than one third to about one quarter of Americans continue to say that they're deferring care because they think they can't afford it. Let's talk about the takeaways then. Um, Patient financial experience is something we've been talking about at HFMA forever and always trying to get better to encourage our members to pay attention to patient financial experience. So what are the takeaways related to the patient financial experience as we continue through this pandemic for at least the first half of 2021? One thing we've been talking about with revenue cycle leaders goes back to that holistic virtual experience for the patient. What we tell them is, you know, make sure your vendors are working together and sharing information appropriately on the back end so that it's a seamless experience for the patient on the front end, whether you're using apps or, you know, a payment portal or, or what have you, just make sure that, you know, everything from your estimation tools to your eligibility tools, your patient accounting system, and then your, you know, your digital tools that they're all in line and, and working together. The other recommendation is to be mindful of the different payment methods. We see PayPal, Zelle, and even voice payments via Amazon Alexa and Google gaining traction as consumer retail tools. So the more that healthcare organizations can take that cue and offer consumer retail convenience and affordable payment options, the better in order to keep patients coming in in the door for the care they need. And finally, I'd say that get your patient experience officer involved, whether you have a chief patient experience officer or some derivative thereof. You know, this is this is the person, this is the department who really is charged with stepping back and looking at, at that big picture of, of the patient experience. And it's not just clinical anymore. It really is financial. It really is that virtual engagement. And it's, you know, the safety aspect combined with the clinical care and outcomes combined with the peace of mind of how I'm going to be able to afford this care. 
Lori Heavey, thank you so much for joining me and talking about these things today. I think our members are going to be very interested and uh, look look at some of these issues pretty closely in, in the future. That sounds great. Before we close out the episode, I want to talk about a couple of things we have coming up on the podcast and elsewhere. This piece that we did today about working moms was a little bit of a departure from the healthcare finance focused topics that we've we've done in the past. And I'm trying to get more human stories on this podcast that relate to people who work in healthcare finance that aren't necessarily about what you're doing every day in your job. In a couple of weeks, I have someone here to talk about mental health, what employers can do to help people who are struggling with their mental health in a time of pandemic, what people can do for themselves, their coworkers and and such. And we also have a webinar coming up with some experts from McKinsey on the topic of working moms. And should we talk about that, Brad? I'm pretty excited about this one. Yeah, I am too. I felt like there was just a lot to unpack uh, that you can't do in one podcast episode. So as we talked about this and got excited about the content of it, we decided that we were going to make it uh, not a member only benefit, but make it free and open to anybody who'd like to attend. People can watch for that on hfma.org. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Special thanks to our sponsor this week, Clear Balance. And of course, I always want to know what you want to hear about. You can email our team at podcast at hfma.org. I mean, all things considered, this isn't going too badly.